How can we discern truth from error? This is a challenge that confronts God's people in every age. Since Satan slithered into the garden, God's word has always been contested by his enemies. In our own time, however, the deceiver comes with a different disguise, a mask that leaves us with the sense that the Bible has little to offer us in the quest for truth today. Talk of prophets and spirits seem foreign, simplistic, ancient, and arcane to our modern minds. I wish to challenge that sentiment tonight by showing you from this letter from the Apostle John that he has given us a message that has enduring relevance in every age, one that can help us to discern what is true and what is false and to determine who are the true representatives of our holy God. And so if you found your place, would you follow along with me in verse 1 of 1 John 4 as I read, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. The world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Father in heaven, as we come to your word, we ask that you indeed would give us discernment, that you would enable us to distinguish between truth and error. Lord, we pray that you would teach us from your word to test the spirits, how to determine whether or not one is from God or whether he is from the evil one. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us understanding, that we might receive your word with faith, soften our hearts and open our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the basic message of this passage in 1 John is straightforward. We are to test the spirits to determine if they are from God. And we can test them by testing their confession. This message may be simple, however, on its surface, but it is also complicated or difficult to understand at a practical level. You see, we have to ask questions about these spirits. We have to try and understand what John is saying about our experience in this present age. We ask questions like this. What and who are these spirits? How do they interact with us? Where do we see them or sense them in our lives? These are difficult questions that we have to deal with in this text. Now, I want you to understand that John is not envisioning some kind of Hollywood world where people are hearing the voices of invisible spirits whispering mysterious words in their ears. No, he's not imagining that kind of world. Rather, he understands, and we ought to understand, that we live in a world where the spirit of God and the spirits of the evil one work through their agents. That is, if you are in Christ, then the spirit of God is in you. And the spirit of God works through you to will and to work for his good pleasure. He produces fruit in you. 
If you speak and testify concerning Christ, it's the Spirit of God who works in you, who speaks through you, in so much as you speak in accordance with God's holy word. But by the same token, there are those who speak for the evil one. There are those who speak by the spirit of Antichrist. Now, here John is not equating the spirit of Antichrist with the Holy Spirit. But rather, he's recognizing that at the end of the day, the ruler of this world is the devil, is the Satan, is Satan. And he has many other demons who have fallen, who are in rebellion against God. And they are active in this world. We do live in the midst of a spiritual conflict. And so John recognizes that. But they work through their agents. And so John is giving us a a simple test that we can employ in coffee shop conversations or when we turn on the radio or when we type in the search bar on the internet to find out information. He is showing us how we might discern whether or not one speaks truly or whether or not someone speaks falsely. And the simple test comes back to this. We are to test their confession. Now, I want to say a little bit more about the work of the Spirit of God and the work about, of the Spirit of Antichrist. You see, we live in the last days. John has made that clear. If you look back at chapter 2, John told us in chapter 2, verse 18, he said, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. For John, that phrase, the last hour, is essentially equivalent to this idea of the last days. We tend to think of the last days as a distant future reality. But here's John writing in the first century saying, this is the last hour. And we know it's the last hour because many deceivers have come into the world. And he takes up this idea again. But these last days are not just characterized by the presence of deceivers in the world. They're not just characterized by the spirit of Antichrist in the world. It's also characterized, primarily characterized for us, by the gift of the Holy Spirit to God's people. I remind you what the prophet Joel said in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. He prophesied, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And the Apostle Peter cited that very passage in Acts chapter 2 when God gave the spirit at Pentecost, saying, this is fulfilled in your midst. John has told us that we live in this period of history that is marked by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he has already elaborated that in this letter. Remember John 2, 1 John 2, verse 20. He said, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And a little later in that same chapter, in verse 27, But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And he instructs us. He teaches us through God's word. He teaches us to remain in Christ by holding fast to his word. And he instructs us to remain with God by affirming that God abides in us. 
This is the peculiar mark of the days in which we live. As it was for John in the early church, so it is for us. Let me say a little bit more about the spirit of Antichrist in our present day. What we see in this text, I'll draw your attention to a few things that John says. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see there the connection between the false prophets and the spirits. That when we encounter someone who speaks falsely concerning Christ and concerning God, we're encountering someone who speaks by the spirit of Antichrist, John says. And this is a characteristic of these last days in which we live. Just as in chapter 2, he said, the coming of the Antichrist is prefigured by many Antichrists. And that was true in John's day, and it's true in ours, and it, will, it has been true for 2,000 years, and will be true until Christ's coming. There will be those who align themselves with the forces of evil, with, with, uh, with the devil. And the primary characteristic of these uh, individuals is that they prophesy falsely concerning Christ. They say things about Jesus that simply are not true. And so John gives us this test. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now this is not the only test that John gives us in this letter. It is an exemplary test. Almost certainly John in his context was dealing with false teachers who were saying the exact opposite of what he's saying. That they were denying that Jesus came in the flesh. You see, the challenge that they're facing in their day is, uh, is that in, in Greek thought, many uh, did not think that it was possible for one who was the Son of God to inhabit a human body. There was a dissonance there in their mind. They could not reconcile those ideas because they thought that there was something, uh, something simply wrong about that picture. And there were all kinds of other denials that came about. We saw another one earlier in 1 John chapter 2. He said in verse 22, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So you see in that context what John was concerned with were people who said, well, Jesus is not the Christ. And they're saying, Jesus is not the Son of God. They might have said something like, well, Jesus is a, is a great, great guy. He's a wise teacher. Maybe they even said that he's a, he's a rather remarkable uh, person that has divine attributes of some sort. But they denied that he is uh, God, in, God incarnate, that he is the Son of God, that he is equal with the Father and one with the Father. In some way, they were denying that. And here John turns his attention to a different denial of the same sort. Here, he's turning to people who deny that Christ, in fact, came in the flesh. They deny the incarnation. In the years that followed, they people would come up with ingenious ways of explaining away the incarnation. They'd say things like, uh, Jesus just uh, took a, uh, a, the, uh, or the Christ just took the body of a man and kind of inhabited him and then left before his crucifixion. This was just one example of the many false teachings that arose in the early church. And you see what they're doing is they're denying what John is saying, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And he says very clearly, you can apply this test, and you can know if someone denies this, he is not from God. It should encourage us to know 
that God has given us simple tests like this. In the Old Testament, we see something rather similar. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, for instance, Moses gave the people a test whereby they could discern who were the true prophets and who were the false prophets. There in Deuteronomy 18, verse 21 and 22, Moses wrote this, And if you say in your heart, How may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. There in that context in ancient Israel, Moses was telling the people that there were going to be many prophets who followed him. and There would be one final ultimate prophet, the prophet greater than Moses, one whom we know to be Jesus Christ himself. But in the line from Moses up to Christ, there would be many prophets. And so too, there would be many false prophets. And Moses gave them a simple test. The true prophet, when he prophesies, his words come true. Now, in that context, it's helpful for us to understand that Old Testament prophets never simply looked out only hundreds of years in the future and spoke about the distant future. They also made prophecies about the near future. So, for instance, a prophet might come and he might say that uh, the Christ is going to come, as Isaiah frequently said. But he'll also say that Babylon is going to come and destroy you. And that didn't happen in Isaiah's lifetime, but it happened in short order. Or they might have a prophet like Jeremiah who did prophesy concerning Babylon, and that actually took place in his lifetime. And when you saw, if you were in Israel, saw the fulfillment of the things that Jeremiah said, or the things that Isaiah said, that for you should validate all that they said. It, it was proof, according to Moses, that this was a prophet sent by God and someone you can trust. Well, for us, God does not send us prophets like this. He doesn't send us prophets who will come and predict the future because he's given us his word completely. It's as the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You recall the very beginning of 1 John how he speaks about Jesus also in the same way as the word of life. And he was the word who was with God and who was sent by God and who was made manifest from heaven, who came and appeared and was seen in the flesh. He is the final clear revelation of God. And so we don't need to test prophets the way that they did in the Old Testament. Now we test people who speak or purport to speak on behalf of God by what they say about him. Because we have God's word completely, and it all testifies concerning him and informs us what is true of him and what is false of him. And so, when we test those who purport to speak for God, we simply need to see and ask, do they speak in accordance with God's word concerning Jesus Christ? What do they say about him? Here it might be helpful for me to draw together a few of the things that John has already said. We've seen one in this text about the incarnation. We looked back at 1 John 2, and we, we saw what, what he said about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ. But all throughout this letter, we've seen that John frequently highlights different aspects of the person and work of Christ. He is the true God. 
We'll read in chapter 5, and we've already seen in chapter 1. He is the Son of God who is with the Father. He is the righteous one, we saw. He is the Christ, as I've said. He is one who is fully God and fully man. One person with two natures. We also have seen aspects of his work that John has affirmed. That he is the one who gives life. He is the one whose blood cleanses us from our sin. He is the one who is our advocate, our defender before God the Father. He is our propitiation, that is the one who atones for our sins. He has appeared and he will appear again to bring an end to the devil and his works. He laid down his life for us. He has all these things and more. And he has done all these things and more. And we know that his wis- wit- who are his witnesses are because they believe in accordance with the testimony that we've received that has been handed down from the apostles until now through God's holy word. That's how we know who the true representatives of God are and who are false. And that's the test that John gives us. No longer do we wait and wonder whether the prophet's word will come true. Now we simply ask, do they rightly understand who Christ is in accordance with God's word? It's a simple test that enables us to discern whether or not that person who purports to speak for God truly is from God or simply represents the evil one. Now, when we think about our world, we we realize that... uh, As John says, there are many false prophets, there are many antichrists, there are many people who are opposed to the message of the gospel. They are opposed to the message that we proclaim concerning Christ. And this can discourage us. We might feel very lonely in this world. Like we're the only ones who are holding on to this word. But John would encourage us. Here in verse 4 he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John has already told us that God is greater than our hearts. Here he tells us that he's also greater than the one who rules the world. And we need to be encouraged with that truth. The God who is in us cannot be defeated, cannot be overcome, even if the whole world is arrayed against us and against him. Still, he is greater than all his creation. We can be encouraged by that truth to know that the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And therefore we know that we have overcome them. Not we will overcome them. We already have overcome them. So we can hold fast to the truth. We can maintain this commitment that we have to God's word even when we feel as if we are alone or very few in number. We might wonder though in that that context Why is it that so many people are attracted to lies? Why is it that so many people are carried away by these false prophets? Here again, John explains. It's because they're from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. The devil is the ruler of the world. The Antichrist will come and be the ruler of the world. And the things that they they desire, the things that they love, they are the things that are of the world. But what has John already told us about the world? Simply look back to chapter 2. There you'll see in chapter 2, verse 15, John told us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, 
is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desire. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here, John lets us know God is greater, once again, God is greater than he who is in the world. That world that is passing away, though many who are of the world will listen to what the world says, what the world claims to be true. Though many will follow these false prophets who deny the truth that we've received about Christ, we can be encouraged because we know not only that we've overcome, not only that the one who is in us is greater, but also because we will abide forever, as John has told us, for we are from God. Whoever knows God, he says, listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we know that the spirit, the spirit of truth can distinguish him from the spirit of error. At the end of the day, it comes down to this. God has given us his word. He has given it to us clearly. Passed down over the centuries from the apostles and the prophets. Preserved and maintained with faithfulness. And we can see it and we can know it. and We can read it. We can understand who Christ is. We can understand what he's done for us on the basis of God's holy word. When people come and they are selling some newfangled idea about what will, uh, uh, what will make us right with God or what will give us the best life that we can have, even if they have uh, many degrees or they have a Rolodex filled with powerful people, if they're connected or they're, uh, they're famous or they're celebrities of some sort, whatever they have to commend them, if they proclaim a false message that is not in accord with God's word concerning Christ and concerning his work, then we know that they, with the world, are passing away. They're not representative of the one who is greater than the world, the one who endures forever. But those who speak in accordance with his word, they truly represent God. The spirit of God is working in them. And that's how, uh, and so we can know that. That's how we can know who who is from God. Now, I want to apply this in a very particular way. I said at the beginning in my introduction, I was talking about how um, sometimes we read God's word and we think that seems very distant, very ancient. We talk about false prophets and we talk about spirits and it just doesn't seem to match the day and age in which we live. We live in this technological age. We live in this scientific age. How can we apply this kind of thing in our present age? And I made the case that what John has given us as a principle is of enduring relevance. Let me explain a little bit how I, uh, what I mean by that. I was born into an analog world in 1986. There was no internet that was widely available. Uh, we didn't even have computers in our homes yet. But I came of age with these things so that by the time that I entered college, internet was ubiquitous. Everyone had it. If you wanted to get information, your first stop was a search bar on a search engine. And it's just gotten, uh, the te technology has just uh, accelerated since then. Nowadays, if you're not aware, there's something called uh, artificial intelligence. You can go online and you can chat with a computer and you can ask it any question. And it'll spit back an answer. We have to ask questions like, how do we know that what it tells us is true? How do we know that the information we're getting is right and correct? Now, what I'm telling you, it's not something that 
you can really apply when you're talking about uh, whether or not the recipe that they've given you is a, uh, is a good, uh, healthy thing to make or whether or not um, uh, the medication that they're recommending is the best thing to reduce your blood pressure. But it can help you and will help you when you go to Google or you go to ChatGPT or you go to the library and simply pull down a book and ask questions about who God is and what he's done and how to understand scripture and how to apply scripture in your life. These kinds of questions. Recently, Joe Carter interacted with this, uh, this new um, artificial intelligence called ChatGPT, and he wrote an article about it. He asked a number of questions, and one of the questions he asked was this. Summarize the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Let me read to you what the, uh, what the uh, robot wrote back. The letter to the Ephesians, also known as Epistle to the Ephesians, is a book of the New Testament of the Bible. It is attributed to the Apostle Paul and addressed to the Christian community in Ephesus, a city in modern-day Turkey. In the letter, Paul writes about the importance of unity and humility within the Christian community, and he encourages the believers to lead lives characterized by love, forgiveness, and obedience to God. He also emphasizes the significance of Christ's death and resurrection and the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Overall, the letter to the Ephesians is a powerful reminder of the transformative power of the Christian faith and the importance of living according to God's will. That's not bad. It's a pretty good summary of the letter to the Ephesians. And it didn't simply just download something some person wrote. It compiled that uh, based on all the information it could access throughout the Internet. Similarly, he asked this question, explain the gospel. And the answer it gave was this, the gospel is the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. God loves us so much that he sent his only son to come down to earth and die on a cross for our sins. Through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, we can be forgiven of our sins and receive eternal life. This is the hope that we have when we accept him as Lord and Savior in eternity with him in heaven. Now, I would say that passes the test. That's not bad. But the problem with these things is that they can be manipulated. They're not static. They're very dynamic, and they can change, and people can... Uh, what, what it gave, that answer it gave in December of 2022, won't necessarily be the answer it gives in December of 2023. But slowly along the way, just like over the course of my life, I saw that the main way that we went to get answers to our questions became the Internet search engine. It won't be very long before the main way a generation goes to get information is by going to these artificially intelligent computers and asking them questions. And if somebody manipulates the algorithm, if someone introduces uh, ideas that aren't true, they can be very easily manipulated to give answers that aren't quite so credible as this. And so we still need to come back and be able to apply the test that God has given us. The wonderful thing about God's word is it's not dynamic anymore. It's not changing. It's fixed. It's settled. We know who Christ is. And we know what God's word says concerning him. And it's not going to change anymore. God no longer needs to send prophets to add to it. No longer needs to send apostles to add to it. Because it's come to its completion. And so, no matter what is happening in the world, no matter what's changing, 
We can always come back to these simple tests that John gives us by which we can evaluate what we read and what we find, whether it's on the Internet or with a robot that's uh, smarter than us or in the library, just in the books that we find on the shelves. We apply the tests that God have given us, has given us. They're simple, they're straightforward, and they're clear. We simply ask that question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? We can add to it. Who, what do you say that he's done? Who do you say that I am? And what do you say that he's done? Whether it's man or machine, that answer to that question ought to be the same. He is the Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God who became a man in the course of time, who went to the cross and gave his life to pay the penalty for our sins so that all who trust in him by faith might have eternal life. That answer is not going to change, no matter what changes in our technological world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to apply your word in our life and in our age. We live, we know, in the last days, just as the apostles lived in the last days, these days that run from the resurrection and ascension of our Lord until his return. And as we wait for his coming, we recognize that we live in a world that is constantly changing. Our technology is rapidly improving and increasing faster than we can even comprehend. And it's a confusing world in which we live, a world that's full of deceits and lies, a world that denies the truth that you've given us, that we've received down through the centuries. And yet we know that in the end, your word is clear and your word is true, and it can be our north star, so to say, our guiding star. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us a strong faith to trust your word and to believe it as we've received it, that we might be a discerning people, able to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We pray that you would make us a faithful people, able to stand firm in the face of deceivers and in the face of many antichrists. And whether the antichrist should come in our lives or many years from now, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would make us faithful until the end in the hope of our Lord's appearing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.